HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Heritage Radio Network on tour. My name is Kat Johnson, and I'm kicking off all of our coverage for Slow Food Nations in Denver in 2019. And I'm not quite yet at Slow Food Nations because we are doing an event right before the festivities kick off at Softa here in Denver. And I'm here with Chef Alan Shaya. Thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you, Kat. Really, really glad you're here. We're so excited. So we have been planning this dinner with your team with our team at Heritage Radio Network and with the team at New Food Economy because we are launching a very exciting collaboration and you're helping us kick it off. We're gonna be starting a podcast called The Digest, um, combining the best of both of our newsrooms and our media capabilities. So um, thank you so much for having us and being so generous. Totally, we couldn't do any of this without The Digest. Yes. You You have to be able to digest at some point. We have to digest physically and mentally. And mentally. So that's, that's, right. what, that's what we're aiming to do. Good. Um, so we're going to have some incredible supporters of, I think, all three of our organizations. We're going to have Dana Cowan here co-hosting the dinner with that's us. That's incredible. We're so excited. I'm she a hosts, huge fan. Yes, we all are. She hosts the Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. We're going to have the great Alice Waters. An up-and-comer. <laughs> yep, out of California. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard she was around. Uh, yes, I think she's been at all three Slow Food Nations, and we are thrilled that we are a part of her uh, schedule for this year. Alice is uh, one of um, my biggest inspirations, and Emily, my wife as well. We just absolutely adore her and try to spend as much time with her as we can. She's incredible, and I'm really nervous and excited and anxious that she's coming in for dinner at Softa tonight. So tell us about the menu that you have planned for us tonight. Yeah, we are um, tapping into all of these beautiful local farms. Um, Denver right now is just blossoming with the most incredible produce. And so we're using um, lettuces from Isabel Farms. We're using vegetables from Red Wagon Farms, like really beautiful um, cucumbers and fresh cherries. We're using lamb from Boulder lamb company and we have these gorgeous lamb shoulders that we're going to serve with morel mushrooms and um, fresh cherries so like that's going to be really tasty and I also think um, we're doing some hummus and salatine and some pita bread so I think the, the table's going to be happy. Um, you're, I'm looking at you right now and your hat says pita on it Yes. and when we interviewed you last year you also had the pita hat on. Yes. Why, why is pita the word that goes on the hat? 
Um, because I think it serves as such like a foundation for like what we do at Saba and Safta, like the pita bread coming out of the wood oven for me is really part of what defines the restaurant experience. And, um, and that's why I have a hat named pita, but you know, I never, I never heard like, I always thought like people might get it confused with like the animal rights, uh, group or, (laughs) um, but what I've, what I've learned is that people think that PETA is short for pain in the ass. And I'd never heard that in my entire life until I started wearing this hat. And people would walk up to me and they'd be like, so are you? And I'm like, what? They're like, pain in the ass? I'm like, no, it's PETA bread. It's like like, like the, the bread. bread. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that brings me to something, because one thing I wanted to talk to you about was this incredible profile that Wendell Brock wrote about you in The Bitter Southerner. I'm a big fan of Bitter Southerner, a big fan of Wendell Brock. And he kind of talks a little bit about your childhood, and you yeah. know, you you said maybe you were a little bit of pain in the ass. Well, as a kid. yes, as a kid for sure, <laughs> um, probably a little bit, bit still. <laughs> I, I, um, you know, really got a chance to spend some time with with Wendell and and kind of tell tell him my story and tell him about the my life growing up. And yeah, I had a pretty tough childhood, and you know, we were an immigrant family uh, coming from Israel. And then my mother and father divorced very shortly after we immigrated here. So my mom really raised on her own, my sister and I, and she just worked two jobs and around the clock. And I had all of this time on my hands to learn how to cook um, and also find ways to get into trouble. And that pretty much lasted all the way through high school um, until I went to culinary school. And one of the people that you talk a lot about um, to Wendell is... um, Donna Barnett. Yeah. Tell me about her and like so what she means to you. Donna was my home economics teacher um, in high school, and she really was the, the only teacher, the only adult figure in my life um, for several years in high school that I listened to, that I looked up to, that um, had, had my attention. And uh, I really had so much respect for her ability to like connect um, on like a personal uh, level where most like teachers wouldn't even make eye contact with me in high school. Uh, she really made the time for me and noticed that I loved to cook and that I had a passion for it. And she helped me get my first job like in a fancy restaurant. She helped me find my way into culinary school when I didn't think I could afford it or I wasn't, didn't think I was smart enough to go. Um, she was really someone that had set a path for me that Um, no one else has ever done and she's been a huge part of my life ever since and now her and I um, have started a foundation together called the Shia Barnett Foundation and we work um, with two vocational programs one in New Orleans and one in Denver Uh, the one in New Orleans is called New Orleans Career Center and the one in Denver is called the Cherry Creek Innovation Campus and we are providing support um, mentorship and and just helping in any way we can either like at New Orleans Career Center we're we're donating kitchen equipment to the program we're going to be mentoring their students and our goal through the program or through the foundation the Shy Barnett Foundation is that we can really kind of help somebody the way that she helped me when I was in high school and help um, children if they are passionate about culinary arts find a path forward uh, help them get into culinary school and hopefully make a positive impact in, in somebody's life. 
I'm just fascinated that she was your home ec teacher because I think that a lot of home ec programs have gone away. Um, there's been a few people trying to redefine what home ec can mean. Um, what are some of your memories about your home ec classes with her and, and, and do you think um, we need to be seeing more home ec come back to schools? So um, I'll first I'll answer whether or not we need to see more home ec coming back. The answer is yes, and that is exactly like what the foundation is aiming to do, is to continue um, putting resources towards people in high school that want to become uh, members of the hospitality industry. We, um, I, you know, I remember when I was in high school and I would get kicked out of class, uh, out of like English class or home ec, believe it or not, or whatever else. like. I would get kicked out, or homeroom, not home ec. Yeah, I would get kicked yeah. out, and they would send me to Donna's class, to home ec. Um, and Donna would, uh, she kind of worked this deal out with all the other teachers that instead of putting me in detention or suspending me, um, that that they would just send me to her class, and she would, uh, she would be there to figure out what happened and try to get some answers. And so I would walk into her class, and she'd have a big bag of onions and she'd have me Julianne like a 50 pound bag of onions and I would sit there and cry and tear up the whole time and she would like get into my head and um, really was like a therapist to me because I um, was so lost as a as a teenager and really was finding ways to to cause a lot of stress on onto my family and my friends and I really needed help and she use those moments to truly help me. I, you know, I would think that I was getting off easy because I'd get to go hang out in Donna's room um, and cut onions, which I love to do, uh, versus like going to detention. Um, but she knew that this was really the way that she would, she would get me to listen. And she then, uh, you know, got me a job at a restaurant and made sure that I like showed up on time and that I was dressed the right way and she would call the chef that I worked for and follow up. So she she was like this incredible positive force that I think all teachers strive to be, you know, like to be able to, to truly make an impact the way that she did. Um, I think that that's every teacher's dream. Yeah, it's not easy. It's, it's a testament to people that can be that for force sure. in students' lives. Um, so obviously that profile that Wendell Brock wrote uh, covers um, you leaving the, the best restaurant group and everything that happened past that. Not going to get so into it. People should read the profile because it is w very well done. But one thing you did say is that it was a blessing in the end. And can you yeah. talk about why? Yeah, I think that we all kind of go through things in life that we have to come out stronger from and that uh, this was an experience in my life that there was a lot of things that I could have done better. Um, there was a lot of people that I needed to surround myself with that um, I hadn't been surrounding myself with. And I found some really um, like amazing, just like an opportunity with my wife, Emily, to start our own hospitality company, which we did, um, Pomegranate Hospitality in 2017. and. Uh, from that point, we were truly able to create uh, a company that was built on core values that we created with our management team that we that, that drive what we do every single day at Pomegranate between Saba and Safta restaurants. 
uh, we operate um, every day and and make decisions and base our schedules and our calendars around these nine core values that um, include accountability, equality, empowerment, um, communication, organization, passion and creativity, education, and every day we make decisions based off those nine values. We, um, like how do you quantify how you can create passion and creativity within a work team? Um, you know, we, we thought about that for a long time and, and we decided that we would close the restaurants on Mondays and Tuesdays so that people would have a good work-life balance so that they could reset, so that they could begin channeling their passion and their creativity. Um, you know, we have a, a director of people and culture and her name is Susie Dare and she has um, been this incredibly positive force for our entire group um, on how we set these systems up every single day that we all work off of. Uh, we, we, you know, education is a very important core value for us and we host lunch and learns every Wednesday at the restaurant and our team members are able to come and teach their colleagues something that they're passionate about, whether it's uh, it's been everything from knife sharpening to Beyonce to taxidermy to um, existentialism and Southern literature to, you know, you name it. Like All topics uh, that I'm very interested in. Yeah, like, plant, like plants. Great. Like people have been coming and teaching about everything. That's awesome. And, um, and it's a way to empower our team. It's a way to educate our team. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we every day we're talking about these core values and how uh, they can make us a better company every day. And I don't think that I would be at this point in my life right now where I get to do this um, if it wasn't for what has happened in the past. And I uh, have found this to be an opportunity to just truly make a positive impact and um, be a good, uh, a good leader and a, a, a good support structure for our entire team. And so... Obviously, the, the first restaurant you opened after leaving Besh was um, Saba in New Orleans. Yeah. And then um, how long after Saba opening did Softa open in Denver? Four months. Four months. So pretty rapid. Um, yeah, we, had a, we started Pomegranate in 2017. Um, in March of 2018, we launched the cookbook, uh, Shia, which, um, which took a lot of effort and time to put together and then of course you know promote after the book came out uh and that happened in march and then in may we opened saba and then in august we opened safta um so 2018 was a very busy year uh but the the incredible thing was that so many of the people that i worked with at shia came along and joined our team at pomegranate right away uh so we we had an executive team in place with Pomegranate Hospitality seven months before we opened our first restaurant together. And during that time, we, you know, we created our mission statement. We created our core values. We, we built the structure to make those all come alive. We hired Susie onto the team. And um, we used those seven months to work really hard on figuring out how to make the most um, healthy and and well-balanced culture we could in the hospitality um, business. So next month in August of 2019, Saba, Softa, excuse me, turns a year old. Yes. So a year in, almost a year in, what, 
how is that foundation you've laid? How has that set you up for success? You know, what are the challenges you're facing a year in? What are some things that have gone really well that that foundation has made go well? <coughs> well, we've, you know, grown our team to 170 people. And uh, we have been able to just really, I think, open two incredible restaurants and build a team of people that are just so amazing. And it's been so impressive to see uh, how our team members, as, as they've joined Pomegranate Hospitality, have really bought into the culture and how the culture uh, and the the health of the culture has grown organically from within. A lot of it, I think, is about setting the tone for people to um, be able to, to gravitate towards. And when we open Saba, you know, of course we have challenges every single day and we have to like use, we have to really rely on the culture that we've created to kind of get through those challenges. And we've had to make a lot of really hard decisions. Um, but like one of the most uh, amazing moments for me when we first opened Saba was that I was standing at the pita oven and one of our cooks had made some type of off-color joke and the server standing next to the cook said hey we don't talk that way here and I just watched the cook like take that information and kind of stand up straight and it sunk in and he became one of our most amazing team members that was championing our culture but you know he needed that wake-up call and there was someone there that felt empowered to give him that wake-up call and that felt like she deserved the respect um, that that would not occur and before I could even say anything she had she had addressed it and it fixed the, the thing just happened organically and I just felt like that was one of the first steps towards like the culture becoming something that just naturally happens when you bring a lot of great people together. And how um, through all of this, all of this time with opening the restaurants, we've really worked hard on um, figuring out ways to help our team when they are in need. And we've worked with people through addiction and we've worked with people to find permanent housing and we've worked with people to get over their illnesses and uh, a lot of the benefits that we've set up um, are there to, to, be, to, to be able to catch those things as they happen. So we have like an employee assistance program where our team members can get financial, legal, mental health advice for free um, and that they can go and seek treatment without having to necessarily involve anybody at work. It's a third party um, operator. We also provide really good health benefits to our team so that they can go and have babies and be covered and they can um, get over illnesses and be able to take time off that they need for, for themselves. So when I see that, that stuff really come to life and I can um, be a part of somebody's day that is affected by those things positively, um, it really fills my heart and it helps me realize that what we're doing is the right thing. Um, and we're challenged every day by it. And uh, there's been times where we've had to let team members go that we really cared for um, because they were not living up to the values that we set. And those are hard decisions, but our job is to protect the culture and to protect the team as a whole, and that's what we do. Awesome. So I wanna go back a little bit and talk about the book. Um, the book, so the book preceded the two restaurants. 
how was it trying to promote a cookbook while also opening restaurants? It seems like it's something most people don't do simultaneously. Sure. No, it was a whirlwind. Um, the book, uh, I think I'm really proud of it. I worked with an amazing team, uh, Tina Antolini, uh, who herself has been in podcasts and, and produced Gravy and then did Pop-Up Magazine and is now on to her own projects with grants behind her that um, we're all super excited about. Um, Rami Robert was our recipe developer and um, she was incredible to work with. We worked with an amazing artist named Francis who did all the illustrations in the book. In the book, uh, when I sat down to write it, I thought, how will I ever get anyone to want to read a book about jambalaya, hummus, and gnocchi? Like what who would pick that book up and want to cook dinner from it? And I sat down and um, I just started to write and I found myself just writing my my life story about food because um, that was the only way I, that I felt I could kind of make sense of all of those things. Um, so the, the recipes are written um, that they follow stories and those are all written in chronological orders. So there's 26 short stories about kind of my my life as a child immigrating to America, the influence that my, my Safta, my grandmother had on me, um, my relationship with my father, my relationship with my mother, uh, how I took a lot of really wrong turns and ended up selling drugs and stealing and, and getting arrested and getting into fights. And I was this very angry teenager. And then how Donna came along and really picked me up and helped me move forward. And then my experience in culinary school and then my experience in New Orleans and what Hurricane Katrina um, what kind of effect that had on my life uh, and then moving to Italy and apprenticing out there and coming back and opening Dominica and Pizza Dominica and then you know so like all of these life moments that have been really guided through food in one way or another um, line the book and the recipes blossom from those stories and the illustrations play into the stories and the recipes. And I, and I think the whole thing kind of came out like this beautiful song and I'm really, I'm really proud of it. And it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that I'm happy that I did it. I learned a lot about myself. Uh, it was a very self-reflective experience. And, um, I also just got to work with an amazing group of people, uh, Tina, Ramey, Rush, Francis, and my wife, Emily. Um, and it was just uh, incredible. And I don't think we mentioned this, but what's the name of the book so people can find it? Shia. Shia. My Journey Back to Israel. Awesome. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about now you're in New Orleans and in Denver. What is splitting time like between those two cities? Um, how do you and your Emil uh, Emily, your wife, how, yeah. do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, well, um, it's a two-hour southwest flight between New Orleans and Denver. It's really not so bad. Non-stop? Uh, non-stop. There you go. Yeah, and so, you know, we could leave there in the morning and be here by lunch. Um, and we really love spending time in Colorado. It's one of the reasons that this restaurant exists, um, that Emily and I decided to open Softa here because we, we wanted to follow our pursuit of happiness together. And coming and spending time in Colorado, especially in the summer, um, was a big deal for us. So we made that become reality by opening Safta. And uh, we have a house here and a car here, and we've really gotten a chance to work very closely with different members of the community for different things 
like Komal Kitchen. Um, I'm not sure. I, th- I think you're familiar with it because yeah. they're very involved in slow foods. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with Komal, it's a incubator kitchen for immigrant and refugee women, and it helps them share in profit from the from their sales of cooking uh, food through catering and through a restaurant. And it's one of the most inspiring places I've ever been. And one was one of the defining reasons that I came to Denver with Emily in the first place to open up. Um, the, the, the way that we manage our time back and forth, uh, we spend it together and we travel back and forth together and we really enjoy it. We've actually, uh, you know, she's running the company with me and, um, she is incredibly smart and has, um, helped pomegranate become this incredible place for so many people. And I've learned a sh- a ton from her. You can curse on HR. A, a shit ton from her. <laughs> and um, I, you know, I think that this, the, 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 the reason that Saba exists and Saba, Safta exists um, and how Emily and I are able to kind of like continue that reality for ourselves has been such an inspiration and so positive and I'm very, very, very happy we're getting a chance to do that. Um, so, Next, I want to talk a little bit about where you like to eat outside of pomegranate hospitality restaurants when you're in both cities. Yeah. Um, well, in New Orleans, there's so many great places that I've been going to for well over a decade, close to two decades. Um, Mosca's is one of my favorite restaurants in New Orleans. It's like this old school Italian restaurant uh, outside of the city, um, and they are famous for their um their oysters, Mosca, which are like oysters that are broiled with breadcrumbs and butter and che- Parmesan cheese and oregano. Um, it's incredible. And then you put that on top of spaghetti bordelaise, which is like a garlic and parsley spaghetti. Uh, and it's one of the best things I've ever had in my life. And then I also love eating at Margie's Grill in New Orleans. It's on Broad Street, and it's not far from where we live. And uh, Chef Marcus is um, cooking there and sourcing the most amazing local ingredients and serving them up in a way that's light and fresh and very neighborhoody. And Emily and I find ourselves kind of gravitating there a lot to go eat. And then we love eating a ton of Vietnamese food as well. And New Orleans has some of the best Vietnamese food in the country. Um, and so we, we're at, we're at Phu Bai, which is um, on Tulane Avenue and incredible beef and, and chicken and then we also go to a place called Tan Din on the West Bank for their um, crispy fried tofu with lemongrass and chilies and their quail with black pepper and lemon and their pho and their banh mi and all the other great things. Um, so that's New Orleans. And then in Denver, uh, there's a place called Q House that I really love. It's like a modern Chinese Taiwanese restaurant. Um, and there's a, a chef there that's just making the most incredible food, and I, I go there a ton. Emily and I go to this place called Sushi Den a lot, which is a local su- sushi restaurant here, and they fly in all their fish from Tokyo, like, every day. And it's incredible, kind of, like, no-frills, amazing sushi. Um, we love eating at Komal Kitchen. We go there a lot for lunch. We love um, eating at Tavernetta and at Mercantile, and at Annette, scratched a table um, that sh- Chef Caroline Glover just made, um, just got Best New Chef for Food and Wine. And she's been incredible. We've gotten a chance to cook together. So there's so many great places. It's 
we just can't get to them all. But we we eat out when we do have time to eat out. Like w- we find ourselves going back to these places that we really crave. And then when you're cooking at home, so going back to the Wendell Brock piece, one of my favorite parts about it was he talks. He goes and has red beans and rice. Like yeah. Emily makes red beans and rice, which right. is one of my favorite things to eat yeah. of all time. And she's then the bean queen. The bean queen. I mean, you could Google it. Google Emily Shia, and it's like. It's about her. Well, red she beans won. And rice. She won first place in a red beans and rice cooking competition. She's the real deal. She's she beat out thirty-one other restaurants and chefs in New Orleans, uh, and forty-two hundred people voted, and she won first place. Um, so she is officially the Bean Queen, and um, we're all very proud of her. So yes. next time I'm in New Orleans, I'm skipping the restaurant. Come to our house on Monday night, and you can have <laughs> red beans and rice. And it mentioned that Monday is like a traditional red beans and rice night. Yes, that's it is. Citywide, everyone at home that's cooks. That's a New Orleans, Louisiana tradition. That's and so cool. uh, Monday used to be laundry day. Uh, and so um, we, uh, we have this tradition where because it's laundry day, everybody cooks red beans and rice and um, makes like it can stew all day long on the stovetop and it can be. Um, not really tended to because the red beans take like eight hours to cook. So while your laundry is happening and you're folding laundry, you can have a pot of red beans on the on the stove. And that that was a tradition that the slaves in New Orleans would actually do on Mondays when they would do laundry. That's fascinating. I yeah. did, did not know that. Yeah. And then I know the answer to this question, but what beans are you using? Camellia, red beans, absolutely. I also, um, you know, we love to cook at home a lot. We uh, make all kinds of stuff when we're pretty much, you know, shopping at the farmer's market. When we're in New Orleans or here in Denver, there's beautiful farmer's markets. And we go and load up on produce and then kind of cook that up in lots of different ways. Um, I, I use my big green egg a lot, and I love um, smoking meats on that and smoking vegetables on that. So, yeah. We get, we get a ton of home cooking in, and I really enjoy it. So you mentioned Big Green Egg, and talk about some of the more creative dishes that you cook on the egg that people might surprise people. Yeah. Um, well, Susie, I was talking about her earlier, our director of people and culture. She's Filipino, and she challenged me to make this Filipino uh, adobo, pork adobo. Um, and so I smoked this pork shoulder with, like, soy sauce and vinegar and sugar and bay leaves and garlic and um, let that kind of smoke all day long for like 12 hours. Uh, And as it was cooking, I was just like basting it with this like soy sauce um, and vinegar sauce. And it just like went all the way into the middle of the meat and just flavored it so beautifully. And I made that with um, smoked pineapples and I just took whole pineapples and threw them in there with the pork on the side and let those smoke for 10 hours. And they came out like, candy it was incredible and then um i served that with coconut rice and that was one of my favorite big green egg dishes that i've made recently there's also one involving a pumpkin yeah i uh i I like to cook vegetables whole as much as possible and in new orleans in the fall we have these beautiful squash and pumpkins and i took a whole pumpkin and um and hollowed it out and um, smoked it and then made stewed greens with um, like ham hock uh, that cooked down for several hours. And then I stuffed that into the pumpkin and put the whole thing in the smoker for like another few hours and put 
some breadcrumbs on top, and it was like this whole stuffed pumpkin with stewed collards and mustards, and it was awesome. There's a picture of that on Instagram. Yeah. It looked <laughs> bonkers. It looked so good. Um, okay, well, I think the restaurant's starting to be set up for this dinner. Yes. Um, we're so excited. Thank you again Thank for having you. us. Um, and this interview will be airing on Saturday, although you won't be here this weekend. But we are so excited that you kicked off Slow Food Nations with us. Thank you for letting us do that. We're honored to be a part of it. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks again, Chef Alon Shaya. Thanks, Kat. I'm Kat Johnson. This has been HRN on Tour.